wanted to remind remind you that of what we've been doing, what we're what we're continuing to do. We're we've been looking at the book of Mark, and uh, this this idea in the book of Mark talking about uh, well, the title of this this series has been going through that is good news in a changing world and. And I really want to kind of give you a, a, a little bit of an idea of what, what we've been looking at or what we're trying to do. And I realize that um, discipleship is a rare thing today. Following Jesus is a rare thing today. We've got more and more people, I think, that are really unfamiliar with biblical things, with uh, um, Christian things. Uh, and... There's some people, I think, that may be opposed to Christian values and things like that, but I, I would say that the majority of people are just indifferent. And uh, I shouldn't say a majority of people. A lot of people are, are maybe more indifferent and, and really don't have an opinion or really not thinking about it. And I'm, I'm talking about people out in our world. What I'm saying is that our culture is changing, and there's things. And, and, and the Bible, I think, commands us to, to be a light in the midst of of darkness in, in the midst of a world that is changing. And, and I believe, I still believe, and I know that God has, uh, uh, you, you look at, at the Bible and you see some things that are, uh, you know, how God has moved and acted in, in throughout Scripture to, to make, to accomplish the things that He wants to accomplish. Um, I think that what, 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 I've, what I'm really trying to, what I think that really needs to uh, um, happen throughout this series is to, our understanding that as disciples in this changing world, we do have a message and we do have, we do have a purpose. And we, if you think about some of the, the titles of what, what we've already had, the first, the first title of, of this series was uh, Uncommon Disciples. And then it was Uncommon Purpose. And then it was Uncommon Savior. And, and here we have Uncommon Perspective that we're going to be looking at today. But I just wanted us to, to, to kind of, I, I think that, brings out some things in his gospel that are, are, um, that are just, that really lend itself towards the fact that um, the way that Mark just kind of goes through action, 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 action. He's just, get this done, get this done. He just seems to be in a hurry for people to know who Jesus is, um, and, which is interesting, and, and this is a kind of a side note, but it's interesting to, to think that or to realize that when you know Mark's beginnings and how he was kind of sort of uh, timid, if you will, I think. Mark was uh, um, more timid, and he was kind of, a, he abandoned Paul, the Apostle Paul, and, and Barnabas on that first missionary journey and things like that. And, um, and yet he seems to, um, through the writings of Paul, you see that, but also through, his, through this gospel of his, you, you begin to see that maturity that has taken place and this, this desire for him to, to really get that gospel into a changing world. Um, we would agree with that, though. We live in a changing world, right? We live in a, in a changing culture that is, that the, the, the forces seem to be, um, I'm just saying God is, God, God continues to be light in this generation. He certainly is light to us. I, I want to talk about some perspectives. Um, uh, Juliome was his name. Uh, many call him in Haiti, uh, Pastor Juliome. Uh, he has changed my perspective on it, what it means to truly be rich. Changed my perspective of um, having grown up, I guess, in middle-class America. Uh, Julielm, again, is a Haitian, well, he's a lay pastor uh, in Haiti. 
and Susan and I met him when we took our trip down to, to Haiti and, and spent some time there. He had no formal training at all whatsoever. Um, and, and by way of things like uh, a Bible college, anything like that, no formal training at all. Again, a lay pastor. Um, his only real income was actually selling trinkets to tourists. I don't think that as a pastor he, he really received any money for that. Um, if, if it was, it was pretty minimal. But his, his, uh, his real income was selling trinkets and things like that to tourists. Um, of which he was hoping to sell some to us when we got off the plane and started to come into the community of, of um, Grand Guave, Haiti, um, so south of Port-au-Prince. And I think that he probably made, um, I know that at the time he was making less than $500 per year. Um, realistically, Julien didn't really have much by way of monetary things, but the one thing that he did have is he had Jesus. He loved Jesus, and, and, that, and that just gave him this joy in life. Actually, I should have, I should have had the picture of Juliom up here. But that just gave him this joy in life um, that uh, it just was so contagious when you got to meet him, when you got to talk with him. And it just, uh, I was reminded because we were looking through them last night, and, and uh, those video, those pic, those photo albums. But what's the the other fellow's name again? My translator, Gary. Gary was just another incredible guy. But anyway, one of the things that for Julian that he said to me that I'll never forget, and and I may not have the words exactly right, but one of the things that he said to me is that true riches come from knowing Jesus. <laughs> true riches come from knowing Jesus. So you, you get what I'm getting at. Right? Um, here's a guy who really basically had nothing in terms of monetary things, but he knew Jesus and he felt like he was rich. And that's, that's you know, that's very, um, you, you see a lot of people in, in Haiti, and I, I, I'm just, inc it's incredible to see their faith and how strong it is. Um, but Julien gives me that perspective that, I, it, that I've never, I had before because he understands really a world in which I don't <laughs> because I grew up in America. But some people are like that, you know. They change the way that you see things. Jess used to serve in the first church that I pastored in. He was a, he was a servant doing all the things that would probably qualify him. Well, not probably. They would qualify him to be a deacon in the church. Uh, even beyond that, uh, he he was a deacon, that is, in the church, and but he didn't have the title of deacon. And, and most people didn't even realize that Jess was doing the things that he was doing. He simply just saw things that needed to be done, and he did them. And uh, I got to see all that because he'd sneak into the church, and I, I lived not too far from the church. I got to see all that. Most people didn't see it. Um, he didn't know that I saw it, but you know, you're, you're supposed to be aware of what's going on, I guess, right? Um, but Jen just changed my perspective on generosity. I thought I had met generous people until I met Jess, and I hadn't met anyone who was so liberal in his giving. Not 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 just money. I mean, that was certainly a minor part. I mean, although I suspect that he was also a good giver as well, 
in that arena too. Um, I'm, I'm really not sure, to be honest with you. I don't know. But with his time and with his energy, he just was constantly giving. He was just this incredibly generous person. And people do that, though, you know. They, they change your perspective on things. They cause you to see things differently, very differently. My, my freshman year at Bible College, I, was, I lived with a guy in our living unit there at Minnesota Bible College, uh, a fellow by the name of Henry Herr. Um, interestingly, uh, Henry's real name was, you ready for this? Yeah. And it's interesting, I was just, I was just realizing this, I, I, I've forgotten this, and, and one of my friends reminded me of it yesterday, uh, or this week. Um, so his name was, and, and if you said that wrong, it, was, it meant something different, because, um, but his name was Nye, and interestingly, when uh, he came over, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but when he came over to the United States, he went through Ellis Island, and they couldn't pronounce Nye, and so they decided to call him Lee. And then when he got to Bible college, there was a guy there named, by the name of Lee Paskowitz. And Lee said, no, we can't have two Lees here. Your name is Henry. So that's how he got his name, Henry Her. But it's really, nah. And uh, anyway, we used to pick on him about his name and everything else. But uh, when I met Henry, he changed my perspective on what it means to be selfless. He was Hmong. And he grew up in communist Laos. He was only 11 years old when he was forced to take up arms and fight in the Laotian Civil War. Henry talked to me about that. He said he had a machine gun in his hand, was out there fighting in the Laotian Civil War. He fought on the Royalist side, which was backed by, if some of you know some of your history, backed by the CIA, right, in, in that war from the United States. And when the communists of Laos... If you remember right, if you remember, we weren't supposed to be in Laos, right? This is the tail end of the Vietnam conflict and things like that. And, and we weren't supposed to, the government said, no, 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 we're not in Laos, we're in Thailand, and, or, or we're, not, we're not in Laos, we're in Vietnam. And I, Well, they were in Laos. Just telling you, they were there. You remember that? That we weren't? Okay. Anyway, they were. But when the communists started to gain victory, the U.S. evacuated many of the Hmong because the communists vowed to exterminate them. And so Henry was evacuated, and they sent him to, to Thailand. He was over in Thailand for about three years there in a, in a, in a refugee camp. I, I, uh, he actually had learned, I, I don't know how this all worked out, but he had learned like seven different languages. Um, but then uh, af after spending three years in that refugee camp, he, he, uh, then he came to America, and he went to Ellis Island and so on and so But Back in Laos, Henry actually belonged to the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Laos at a, from a very young age. He was a Christian, and it, it was actually the only legal church in Laos, but, but he was a Christian. And, 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 and after coming to the United States, he began studying there to become a preacher at Minnesota Bible College. And uh, in fact, he was, all, he was, so, he was so heavily involved. Uh, involved with, with the Hmong communities. And as you know, there's, there's Milwaukee and there's Rochester and there's Minneapolis and there's, and there's Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and a lot, lot, of, lot of communities around uh, Wisconsin that, are, that have this, these, well, they were the boat people that came, you know, that, that's the loose term for it, that came over back in the, in the 70s. Um, 
But, um, but Henry was just this selfless. He had this selfless determination to share the gospel, just an undying devotion to share the gospel among the Hmong people, and he would just do anything for that to happen. I remember before I left, it was my freshman year, as I said, and he graduated that year, and I just said, we got to keep in touch, and he just said, Paul, I love you. You are my brother in Jesus. You, you are okay. You know who Jesus is. He says, I doubt very much. I'll see you again. I have to be committed. I have to give everything that I have so that my people will come to know Jesus. And I just remember thinking to myself that there was an image of what it means to be a selfless person for someone else. He, he changed my perspective. He changed the way I look at things. Um, and, and people do that. And, and, and I think that that's what happens when we encounter Jesus, is that he changes the way that we see things. He changes, uh, in fact, I think that he changes the way that we see most everything. And so I, I want to look at this text. I want to look at, uh, at it in pieces. Uh, we're in the second chapter of Mark. And, and the very first thing that we encounter is Jesus dealing with his tax collector. And the, he's this fellow who sat at a toll booth and, 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 and collected the dues that people owed in, in order to be a part of society. So chapter 13, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 13 of chapter 2, Mark chapter 2 says this, if you want to read along. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus changes the way that we see people. Um, I, for Jesus, people have status. They have importance, they have value, uh, you know, not based on, on, on what they are in society, but based on who they are simply as people. And, and Matthew, or Levi, as we've come to know him in various places, he was a toll booth collector. He, he was a Jew who had gone in in cahoots with the Romans, and it was, a, it was really a lousy profession for a Jewish man to be in, but he was in it. It meant social outcast. It meant that he no longer was a member of the synagogue. It meant not, that not only he was treated badly, but his family was treated badly. He, he because of that, that one decision in his life, had set himself um, aside from all of the rest of Jewish culture. And he was kind of uh, the epitome of what it meant to be a sinner. Now, you heard that word in this text three or four times. It's, it's just kind of a gospel term. There were the righteous Pharisees, and then there were the tax collectors and the sinners. And yet, uh, you know, it was all of those unrighteous, those unholy, you know, those other 
people. And, and yet Jesus comes and he says, I want for you to see that there is this enormous importance that comes from just being you. You know, I, I don't have a solution to the abortion problem in America, not at least an easy one. But I would suggest to you that until we begin to view people as having inherent value for who they are, not for what they can contribute, that we're going to be in trouble. We have to understand that human life simply has value because this person was made in the image of God and, and carries the image of God inherently within them, whether they're perfect or imperfect. Part of the struggle that we have in American culture is to, is to just understand that, people who, that the people who sit beside you are, are just that. They're people. They're male and female and slave and free and Jew or Greek. Paul says that, that we're all, in Jesus, we're all the same. We're all one in Christ Jesus. It, it, it just reminds me of what, what makes the church so great. It reminds me of what the church is to be all about, all about because you see in the, in the church there, there isn't social barriers. There is not any racial barriers. There's, there's no gender barriers because in the mind of Jesus, when you see people, you see people. And, and people are important. People are valuable. See, when you come to know Jesus, when we encounter Christ, He begins to change the way that we view people. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Will we receive people warmly? Will we do that here? Or will we hold them off at arm's length? Will, uh, arm's length. will, will we welcome people or will we, like those Pharisees, somehow or, you know, stand and, and hold our our, our, our hands out and say, until you have somehow crossed a certain barrier, you can't come into my life. Jesus changes the way we see people. And that's what I think that this text shows us. It also goes on, and I think it says that not only do we see people differently, but it says that we see history differently or traditions differently. Notice verse number, what he says in verse number 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Now, just pause for just a moment. That ought to elicit some sort of a question in your mind. I mean, just automatically. How did they know that John's disciples were fasting and that Jesus were? Well, How did they know that the Pharisees were fasting? Not so much John's disciples. Well, they knew because they wore signs. That's how they knew. They, they made themselves dirty. People would do that. You know? They, they would wore, wear certain kinds of clothing to make themselves look distraught. And, and you know, I suppose if they had neon signs that they, they'd have had one uh, uh, around their necks that said, you know, today I am fasting. Big signs. Verse number 19, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And on that day they will fast. You know, I think that, by, uh, that, uh, by the way, it, it, that is a, a reference to the coming crucifixion. I honestly believe that that's Garden of Gethsemane, Passion Week language, where there's 
going to come a day when Jesus says, I'm not here, and there will be fasting and there will be mourning that's going to occur. But then he makes this rather unusual statement in verse 21. No one sews a patch on a, of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the, both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. There's this demand that comes with the gospel that there be a new package to, in which to put it. Jesus clearly understood that you couldn't bring grace, that, that he couldn't bring the gospel, that he couldn't bring the good news and simply try to package that into the old forms of Judaism. It just wasn't going to work. The old forms have been stretched to their limit. And, and then if you put new wine inside of that old wineskin and it began to ferment and, and, and cause that wineskin to just stretch a little bit more that, that there was, you know, until there was no stretch left, you know, it, it, it would burst and, and you'd lose both the vessel and what it contained. I, I have to tell you that I'm, I'm impressed. I, I'm confessing to you that I am so impressed with, with our congregation here. Um, I don't want us to get big heads or anything, right? But I, I love the fact that we are open to trying different things and new things and trying things in different ways. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, we can try that. And sometimes we, certainly we can try things and we can, we can kind of do the same thing over and over and over again. But I don't, I don't think we've, we've squabbled too much, uh, actually at all, over trying things in different ways. And I hope we never lose that. I really hope we never lose that. You know, well, some of that may be because we're, we're so new. But, but something I never hear around here is, is that, well, we can't do it that way because we've never done it that way before. I never hear that. That is pretty neat. Um, but I, I think that that's, it's a perspective that Jesus brings to us as, as history is important and tradition is important, but when, when the wine skin has been stretched as far as it will stretch, then, well, then get a new wine skin. Put it in a new package. Uh, don't try to do the same thing the same way. And I think that it's just a reminder to us that you know, every time, every generation faces these decisions all the time. And I, I say all this be, as a note to, to put this in our minds so that as we move forward and as we do things that let's not get attached so much to the things that we're doing so we have to do things always the same way all the time. But we always are, every generation faces a new a, a decision. You know, we face that today, tomorrow, you know, the next day, but every one of us faces the decision. Will we package the church for the next generation? I, I mean, I've got to be... We're not talking about changing the gospel. We're talking about how we pack, package that. I, I think that the, the real question isn't, you know, do, do you like church? Do I like church? That's not what we're at. That, that's not the real question. The question really is, will we package what we have to offer about Jesus in such a way that the next generation, that, that others who have never heard the gospel before, that they will fall in love with Jesus too? Because if they're not, if, if there are uh, not new packages, then the old package will eventually burst and become useless. And so one of the things I think that we should think about, and I, I was thinking about it in terms of our year there, not, not saying we need to change it. You know, change for change's sake doesn't necessarily make sense either. But we need to continually evaluate and to think about, you know, our, our women's Bible studies, are we, are we packaging following Jesus in, 
in, in, in a way that, that, that our women uh, that were growing in that, or there are studies for our men's breakfast, or our, our men's studies and our men's breakfast, or to package, you know, we shouldn't always have, have uh, um, quiche, which I think we're going to have it next time. Um, to, but to package following Jesus in, in a way that our young people will be excited about Jesus too. And uh, to package things differently so that every person who walks through our doors have that opportunity to have what we have. And that is a faith in Jesus which gives us a hope for eternity. It's not right to save that for ourselves. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs, or it, it's for us to give so that others have that possi possibility to know what you and I know. And so the question becomes, do we live in our comfort? Do we create things that are a comfortable fit? I guess I'm asking us to get a little uncomfortable and to, you know, or do we, or do we find an, an effective package to deliver the gospel to another generation? See, Jesus changes the way that we've, always done things, the history, I think, the tradition. He also changes the law, even, in fact, God's law, I think. And that's a, really a troublesome thing in, a, in this text. If you go down to verse number 23, look at what it says. Uh, one Sabbath, uh, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of, Ab of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated, consecrated bread, which is, unlawful, or which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for, the, for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The, the man, a, a, a Sabbath, a, a day, a, a principle, a rule. I, I really think what he's trying to help us to understand is that, that people are far more important than rules. People are far more important even than the law. There was a seminary, or there was an experiment that was done on a seminary campus. Um, I, I really, for the life of me, I can't remember which seminary it was. But they had sent a group of letters, or sent letters to a group of seminary students, you know, those prospective up-and-coming ministry people, you know, professional Christians, you know. And they had said that they were to be at such and such a place, at such and such a time, at this office, and they were to be prepared to answer questions about the Good Samaritan. We, you know what that is, right? The story of the Good Samaritan, you know, where the guy is but falling among thieves and meets a Levite and a priest goes by, a Levite goes by, and then a Samaritan goes by and he helps him. It's that story. At least a half, at least half of these seminary students, oh, oh, I should tell you, um, they planted a homeless man who was in need between the buildings where they would have to walk by in order to get to their to their interview about the parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and over half of them, believe it or not, over half of them walked right on by that homeless guy <laughs> because they were so convinced that they were to be prepared for this exam, for this, for this interview, that they right, 
walked right by that need. Because sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We're so convinced that we have to keep the rules, that we have to, to uh, do things in a certain way, that we just don't want know if we can break the package open and do it just a little different way. Because sometimes people, because people sometimes fall in that category of the things or the thing is more important than the person. I don't know about you, but one of the I just think it's great. I, I think most of us know this. I'm pretty sure we do. But I, you know, it's 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 astounding to me. I'm you know but there's actually people in the church here during the week, you know? But I think that we would be surprised to know some of the things that go on. It's, it's probably a good thing. We probably shouldn't advertise this. But, you know, some of the ladies are here for exercising this week, you know, during the week. you believe that? I mean, they do things like exercise. I hear that sometimes they walk around in the church thing. I mean, the more that they do that, they're, I'm, I'm sure that they're probably going to wear out the carpet. I don't know if any of them have gotten bold enough to run in the building yet. Um, John and I were talking about that earlier. We certainly wouldn't want to see that. Okay, um, we have some guys back here that I mean they they make a mess. I think Pauline only sees that and I see that, but I mean they they're woodworking in here during the week, and they make such a mess over here. You'd be crazy. There's probably sawdust underneath that whole thing over there. Um, I was thinking about this, and I, I don't know if you know this, but well, we've postponed our family fun night here because of the, the wonderful weather we've been having. But but the last time that we have, I I almost am embarrassed to tell you this. The last time that we had family fun night, um, and the time before that, I'm pretty sure, and the, even the time before that, um, did you know that we've had some of our children running in our building? See, when I was growing up, I suspect it was this way for some of you. Raise your hand. It was so, you know, the rules, right? Don't run in the sanctuary. Don't run in the church, right? Don't eat in the sanctuary. And... Uh, but see, here's my question. Which is more important, people or the rules? I, 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 I just tell you this quickly. I, I know of a church that built a brand new building, just an impressive building, not long ago. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. And they had, they had kids coming. I mean, after that, they were telling them about Jesus. That they, they were pulling people from the community. I mean, it just started to just grow and and telling them about Jesus. Next thing you know, I mean, there began to get Kool-Aid stains on the carpet. They, got, they, had, they had marks on the wall. Some places where doors had been slammed too hard and things like that. And, and um, I can't tell you where it is. But anyway, the, um, you, you can almost guess what, what happened, can't you? Um, uh, the one thing that is, it's interesting because I, I, I had checked this out. If you go to their website... Well, all I can really tell you is that they have a list. I mean, it's just an amazing, endless list of all the rules for keeping their, their wonderful, beautiful buildings just perfect so that no kids ever spill Kool-Aid on their car carpet again or mess up anything. And the problem is they don't have a lot of kids coming anymore because for them the rules are more important than people. And see, unless that is unless you're Jesus, who said, I didn't create the Sabbath for the sake of the Sabbath. I created a day of rest for the sake of man, because man is, is, is what's important, not the rules. But see, Jesus changes your perspective. He changes, I think, the way you see things. I think he changes the way you see compassion. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, um, 
Another time he went into the synagogue and, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they, they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, he said, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Interesting, interesting story, but what is lawful? What is, you know, to do good or to do evil? To show compassion or not show compassion? And here it is, Jesus says, says it, I think, clearly. People are far more important than practices. Compassion, which elevates, I think, people, which demonstrates that, that people are important. That's what counts. And In fact, it counts so much that people will change the way that they do things just to make sure that they demonstrate legitimate compassion for people so that people find value in the kingdom of God just for who they are. And it's, it's because the church is not like the world. We're not like the world. And what we want to do is we want to show compassion so that, that people know that we care about who they are. And so the question, I think, is how do we do that? How do we show compassion to people who don't yet know who Jesus are, who, who Jesus is? And, 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 and how do we do what is necessary, you know, without compromising Scripture so that we continue to communicate that we want to be a compassionate people, which is right, to do evil or to do good? And he just almost puts it in their face, you know, and he says, reach out that shriveled hand. Sabbath or no Sabbath, you are going to be healed today. I love that image in Scripture there. But, you know, compassion, it, it violates some of our senses, but compassion is just the same. Uh, and, and here's the question. Will we wither mercy like the withered hand? Or will we extend grace, even when extend grace makes, makes us feeling un feel uncomfortable? Jesus, see, Jesus changes our perspective. He, he changes the way that we see him. And I really think that that's what this is all about. As we, as we close and we think about this, I think that that's really what this is all about. When, when you get right down to it, I think what, what's really happening was that it wasn't just that he was changing the way that we saw all of that other stuff. He was changing the way that those people saw him and demanding that they take another look at him and to see him clearly. And, and what's, what's intriguing in, in verse number 6 of chapter 3 are the, are the strange bedfellows that, that come out of this. I mean, the unholy Herodians, you know, those, those people who had given themselves to Herod and to, the, and, and, and to all you know, the Romans and all the Roman junk. They were now partnering, partnering with these pious Pharisees in order to kill Jesus. You know, when you're against the things of God, it's just amazing who, who you will partner with in order to accomplish whatever, whatever it is that you want to accomplish. So I think that the invitation of Scripture, what Jesus invites us to, is to really take a look at Him and to begin to see through His eyes, to to let him change our perspective on the, on the way that we see people, on the way that, that we see 
change and, and, and the way that we see things, the way that we see the church, the way, the way that we see children, the way that we see the world. And to recognize that our job as Christian people is to see through the eyes of one who reached out no matter what the situation. He just he tried to grasp people's hearts and then draw them to himself. See, I, I really think that the challenge, well, for me, I guess at least, the challenge is, you know, I've been a Christian for so many years. 43 years. But the challenge for me is to allow Jesus to reach in and, and to, to begin to shape me in, in, into what he wants me to be and, and to be willing to admit that you know, maybe, maybe I'm not as much like Jesus as I think I am. But I want to become that. I want to I see like he sees. I, I, I don't want to walk past hurting humanity on the side of the road in, in the name of religion. I want to stop and I want to bend over and I want to pay the price to help the hurting because that's what Jesus would do. So I think Jesus changes our perspective. And every day he says to us, he says, come to me and I'll change your life. I'll change the way that you see things. How many of us want, to, want that kind of change in our lives? See, because that's what he offers us. Right? Let's pray. Father, what an amazing thing it is that you do in our lives when you begin to open our eyes. I love that song that says, open my eyes that I might see glimpses of truth you have for me. Um, God, I just pray that you would open our eyes this week to, to be able to see the way that, see the things around us, the the things that we do, to see things the way you do, um, with that heart of compassion and love and grace and mercy. and Father, help us to see things as you do. Challenge us with that. Make it ache in our hearts until we just have to somehow learn how to resolve it. But help us to see Jesus. It's in his name. It's in his name we pray. Amen.